0: Welcome to Capital Stories, a podcast where we talk to real people about real issues and look for intersections of life and faith to encourage you in your personal walk with Jesus. My name is Tara, and I'm here with Eric. Hello. And we've been eager to share today's episode with you for a while. In the last year and a half especially, America has come to a bit of a reckoning around the topic of race, and we wanted to devote an early episode of the podcast to talk about it.
1: Yeah, But as we thought about what we might want to say and whose voices we wanted to elevate, we really felt God prompting us to use this particular channel to share positive and uplifting stories. You know, as angry as we might feel about racial injustice and and justifiably so, and as desperately as we might have wanted to just shout our personal views about the right solutions to fixing systemic racism in America. We're intentionally taking a different, just less charged approach today.
0: We'll probably come back with future episodes to talk more about race and faith because there's certainly a lot we could explore. But in today's episode, we're excited to share an interview that Eric had a couple of months ago with Kim Perry and Monique Morrison. Two people in Capitol's community who started an interracial small group in the aftermath of George Floyd's killing in the summer of 2020.
1: Right, and as I've talked with them, they opened up about their own unique backgrounds, they shared some of the lessons they learned in the group, and they really get practical about building bridges and fostering interracial spiritual friendships. So, with that, here's Kim and Monique on Capitol Stories. Monique and Kim, thanks for being here with me. I do have to say, before we get into this too far, Shout out to Monique because it's her birthday, not Thank today, you. the day you're, you're listening, but today, the day we're recording. Yes. Um, happy
2: birthday. Um, did you not you know care. it's her birthday? No. I
1: didn't. Oh, it's her birthday. It is my birthday. Yeah, oh my that's gosh, why I brought birthday. the cake, so you can't see or smell or taste the cake, but when you hear our disgusting, smacky mouth eating noises <laughs> in the <laughs> microphone, <laughs> just picture us eating some wonderful oh cake goodness. because it's Monique's birthday, but yeah. we're not here to talk about cake we're here to talk about race. (laughs) so um, I'm eager to dig into this conversation and I thank you again for for joining me. I I just kind of want to start just getting a picture of both of your kind of unique backgrounds as it relates to race. So I guess we'll dive in with a question for both of you, but uh, tell us a little bit about your upbringing first of all, and, and kind of maybe specifically if there was an experience or a memory you have that made you first become aware of race.
3: So I'm I'm black. I'm Jamaican. Um, so and while Jamaica is a predominantly black country, it's surprisingly a little bit of mixed too. We have some Indian heritage, some Chinese heritage, some legacy of slavery. So for example, my mom is a quarter white. So she's very light skinned She's from a part of the country where people are more lighter in skin tone and not very like darker skin tone from like an African descent. And then my cousin, who I grew up with, is also half Chinese. And so I was very much aware of race from just birth I guess mm-hmm. just being born into such a diverse family and so I guess for me it wasn't so much race as it was maybe color so there was like more colorism mm-hmm. in Jamaica where favoritism or bias is more towards the lighter skin people for example I remember just traveling as a young girl and like the flight attendants would all be like very light skin almost oh. white looking or all the like Miss Jamaica beauty pageants or the finalists and the winners would all be more lighter skin hmm. so you could definitely see that there is more bias towards the lighter skin and then you know coming to america for college that i i was exposed to race again in a different but also a very good way because i my college was very diverse um but then it was also in the south so then you also knew that there were some privileges just based on the history of america that was afforded to whites as opposed to like the african-american mm. um community yeah so I guess my knowledge of race just started, an awareness of it, started yeah. from a really young age. Yeah.
2: Well, I grew up in Southern California in a predominantly middle-class white neighborhood. And so I was surrounded by mostly white people. And yeah, thinking back, I can remember at my elementary school and- I don't remember junior high but elementary school and high school every once in a while we would have an African American student and so and it would be one student and the one student typically would be there for a year or less and then move on and so you notice obviously because mm-hmm. you're in a very you know white community right and so you know that those kinds of things came up I can also remember native american student in my elementary school and so she stood out as well just because it was predominantly white when i was in middle school i met my best friend and she was hispanic and that kind of began to open up a whole new world because then um, i spent a lot of time with her family and i was now um, exposed to totally different culture than I had been raised in. So, yeah. those were sort of my early experiences.
1: When did the distinction of, we are different races, kind of come into your mind? Or, or you know, I, I think we hear all the time, we're all made in the image of mm-hmm. God, yet, mm-hmm. yet we all are different, mm-hmm. and at what point do those differences become noticeable, and when did they, I guess, impact experiences you've had?
3: Well, I'm thinking back to one circumstance in college. And again, I went to college in the South. It was in Macon, Georgia. Um, I do remember like one time going to the mall and just standing in line. And then there's a white lady behind me. And it was a young girl at the register. And then she kind of picked the lady behind me uh-huh. to like come to the front of the line. And so I thought that was weird. And that kind of made me wonder, was it? a racial thing like Mm -hmm. that was kind of like my first experience because i was aware that we're all from different races and we're all made in the image of god but to see like the impact of that and how maybe like being like a different skin color or race could afford you some privilege i think that was the first circumstance that came to mind once or twice after that. I have to say for Utah, it's more not so much racism, but I would say like, especially when I go hiking or like go down to southern Utah, it's more just people just see just being different. So it's more curiosit curiosity rather than racism. Like I was at a restroom stop and I think some little girl had like see me in the stall like beside and then notice that my skin color was different. And she's like, Mom, well, you know, like she was asking her mom, like, why is she different? And the mom was like, because God made her that way. Okay. I thought that was a good answer. So <laughs> <laughs> It's a great answer. It's <laughs> a great answer. Yeah. 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 Um, some other instances, like not, not so much of a curiosity. Um, I remember just one time going to Gateway Mall when they had more stores there just with another African American woman and we both walked into the store together and no one said anything to us. No one said hello. And I'm pretty, I'm a hundred percent sure they saw us. So Mm. then like, no one said like, how are you doing? May I help you? And we kind of ignored it and then just walked around and then just, you know, continued to do our shopping and still like nothing, nobody came (laughs) over to like assist us. And so I feel like that was another instance where you kind of leave, you kind of ask yourself, well, is that because I'm black or were they having a bad day? If someone else had walked in who were white, yeah. would they have done the same thing? And I feel like you have to go through this mental gymnastics of mm-hmm. trying to figure out if somebody is unkind to you or unpleasant, right. is it because of race or is it something uh-huh. else? And I feel like that just, it, like the fact that you have to ask, well, is it because I'm black? I feel like that just adds a layer yeah. To like your experience that that's, I don't think someone else of a different race may experience. Yeah.
1: I, I wouldn't have considered that, you know, just the layer and the complexity of, it, is this because of race or right. is it not? And is this just me thinking it might be because, right. of, it's right. because right. of race? Right. Because and you the, don't the want to think that. The distinction right. like, you know, I don't want to assume that, but right. wait, is it? Mm. And that's a unique burden that
3: Right. That I think that you have people of color, yeah, carry yeah. that I don't think maybe others are aware of or carry that burden with them.
1: Hmm. This all became so much more apparent and came to the surface for a lot of people last year um, with, you know, on on top of the pandemic, there was, you know, the instances of innocent black people being, being killed in succession. And, you know, I think people, there there were probably more than we were aware of, but the, the news really picked up on, um, George Floyd, Ahmaud Aubrey, and Breonna Taylor in particular, and that sparked mm-hmm. a lot of unrest and a mm-hmm. lot of just reckoning in the country. And I want to hear what you both kind of thought about, and just kind of as you think back on that time, what was going through your mind, and um, eventually it led to something really cool, which we'll talk about right. on the, you know, in a minute, but I just want to sit in that space of last year and, and get a sense for... What it was like, and what you were feeling and seeing as you were watching Mm -hmm. those those particular events unfold.
2: Well, um, I know for me, the death of George Floyd really impacted me. You know, we we've been seeing deaths for years now, and I talk about them in my classroom because I'm a a history teacher. Okay, and so over the years, we you know, when things come up, I tie it into you know slavery from the beginning and why this racism has continued. And so I try to be, bring things from the past up to the front. So so I have looked and talked about different um, African-American people who have died. But when George Floyd died, it hit me in a different way because I think that, you know, I had been teaching these things, but then to watch him as the rest of the nation mm-hmm. did hit me at an emotional level, like I think it hit a lot of people. And I suddenly felt this feeling that i I, I have to do something. I have to do something more. Mm-hmm. you know, just just talking to my students and teaching mm-hmm. about it is not enough. and And I don't like right away, i um, you know, i I joined the Black Lives Matter Utah chapter mm-hmm. just to see what was going on. You know, mm-hmm. I thought I, I need to be aware. I didn't end up going down to any of the protests, um, not because I was against it. I just it, I just didn't end up having time or, or whatever. But, you know, like um, many people, I think I, I was like, oh, should I post on Facebook? You know, I think there was a big yeah. bandwagon. Everybody was feeling like they need to do something. Yeah.
1: There's a unique urgency all of a sudden, right? Yeah, going right. on for, for centuries, yeah. it's like now, right? Yeah. And
2: and I was like, something has to be done. Something has to stop. You know, how can I be involved? And um and I hadn't be the bridge wasn't on my radar yet, but I did see um, another group had posted from Capitol. A couple of women from Capitol um, were starting a book club, and mm. just put it out there. And um, it was by Austin Channing, I'm Still Here. And she would describe her experiences of being a black woman in a white world. And it was so eye-opening, because I I remember at that point thinking, you know, I, I was shaken by the George Floyd incident, and I was shaken by what was going on in our country. And I have wanted to do something more. But then I I realized wow I have so much that I need to learn and mm. because I had mm-hmm. been teaching you know for years now I've been teaching on the civil rights movement and I thought mm. wow I'm doing a pretty good job I'm aware mm. I felt like I was pretty savvy <laughs> right. you know and then I was like I'm not aware I'm oh. not sa- you know I have so much more that I need to learn and so yeah. um it, that was kind of a beginning experience, even before Be the Bridge kind of came on my radar, you know, just being in this book club. And it was with white women, because we were talking about, all of us were, you know, beginning to experience um, just the this sense of, wow, am I a racist? Because everybody wants to say, I'm not a racist, but then when you start really understanding some of the the buzzwords, but the microaggressions mm-hmm. and the blatant r- racism and and you know little things that we may not even be paying attention to. You start to realize, wow, I there's there's a lot that I have to evaluate on the inside yeah. that I have not yet
3: done
1: had, and and wasn't even aware of like was not even known. aware of right yeah. yeah yeah
3: and then I had the complete opposite reaction. I was like. Why is everybody so outraged? Like, this has been happening for a long time. Why? I feel like the country was in such shock. And I was like, (laughs) Mm -hmm. well, this has been going on for quite some time now. I think Mm. the difference is maybe it wasn't videoed to Mm. the extent that it was for the George George Floyd incident. And so, yeah, my reaction was just surprise and disappointment that Mm. people weren't aware that this was happening all the time, or this was happening before. But on the flip side of that, I think the pandemic combined with the video of George Floyd's death was a good time for people just to have some time to sit and to see Mm. what actually happens. I think the Black community has been aware of it for some time now. But I think the stillness of the pandemic allowed everyone else to really come to grips with what we've we've been seeing or hearing about or experiencing in our community for such a long time. Right. And so, you know, it was still, it, it, even though it's been happening too, I have to say this, it didn't make it any more manageable to mm. yeah. to understand or to deal with the grief. And even though, you know, I'm not African-American, I don't know George Floyd's family, I think there's just a sense of community Based on the fact that you, this is someone who looks like me, mm. and they're getting that treatment because they look like me, and mm. so it was still sad, and it's it a the mix of just sorrow and disappointment and just like shock that people weren't aware that this was happening to our community. Yeah. Like, what was it about his death that made people so outraged when this was happening all along? And I think that right. had to be just with the time in which it happened during the pandemic where people could just be more aware of it and just yeah. sit and watch it happen yes, in real yeah. time.
2: Right? Yeah,
1: that, those are interesting observations. And it's fascinating to hear the, the different reactions you both had right. to this. Like. Um, the same exact events unfolding on our same exact news networks right <laughs> and they're being perceived mm-hmm. and right. you know this is these are two people that I'm talking to in Salt Lake City, Utah, and multiply this across the entire nation mm-hmm. right is is the, the different kind of reactions that we're seeing. Um, how easy could it have been for us to retreat into our separate corners and kind of have our reactions mm-hmm. right. um, But what I love about you too. And what I want to get to really is you crossed that divide. And Kim, you mentioned Be The Bridge, which Mm -hmm. is where this led to. Um, Mm -hmm. Tell us about Be The Bridge, I guess, first of all, so we can be familiar with what what that is. And then we'll get into how you started it and all that jazz.
2: Okay. Yeah. um, So Be The Bridge is um, a Christian-based organization that brings people of different ethnicities together to talk about racial reconciliation, and they they go through steps like awareness, acknowledgement, and lament, shame and guilt, confession, forgiveness, repentance, reparation, restoration, and reproduction, and um, it, it follows these steps. Well, I heard about this. Um, it, this is by Latasha Morrison, and I had attended the If Conference, which was a women's conference that uh, a national women's conference simulcast into Capital. Mm-hmm. So that was my first exposure of um, learning about it. And again, I was like, wow, this is a really powerful ministry, but it wasn't necessarily on my radar to start the group right. until later. right? Probably about a year before attending the IF gathering, because I was in the small group ministry at Capital. I was on the leadership team. I had received a lead from a certain person who um, was interested in starting a group for people of color. Mm. And so I sat down with this African-American woman, and I remember this sort of being really eye-opening for me because we just met in a restaurant, and I said, tell me you know, what you're interested in. Mm. And and she said, well, I, I would like to start a small group, biblically-based, just for people of color, for us to talk about um, how to navigate being... A person of color mm-hmm. in Salt Lake City as a Christian. Right. Mm. And she started just sort of explaining some of the things that I wasn't aware of that even come up in church and mm. in sermons and things that nothing would be intentional, but that again, it's like, wow, I wasn't even aware of these things, you sure. know? And then part of me was like, and Okay, well, just for the people of color, I get that, you know. <laughs> but you know, I'd kind of like to be. I'm kind of. You know, it, <laughs> I, wanna, I was sort let of. Let me join your like, group. <laughs> I, wanna, I I kind of want to know because I want to be aware. Well. That never came to fruition. Um, I think she ended up moving out of state because I mm. did try contacting her later when this whole Be the Bridge um, sure. came up. So, so that happened about a year before. Okay, so now fast forward. Again, because I was on the leadership team, I, I get leads. And um, I had received another lead from somebody who ended up being in our group, Ashley. She was interested in starting Be the Bridge. She's Caucasian. And um, I got the lead. So I contacted her and I said, tell me what you want to do. And she said, well, I really like, you know, this Be the Bridge. I said, yeah, that was really cool. Yeah. And, um, and, and I'd like to start it. And I go, okay, do you have any people in mind? She goes, that's the problem. <laughs> I don't know anybody. I, and she says, and I'm embarrassed to say, I don't have any friends of color. So I was like, uh-huh. oh, Wow. I don't know any people of color. <laughs> you know, and so then, um, so then it began kind of a journey of talking with people, and it was really scary and awkward because I was like, okay, you know, hey <laughs> – How would you like to be the black person in my group? You know, that's how it felt like it was going to sound. And so I had to really think, how do I even do this? These people don't know me. right? Um, And in that process, I realized I can't be setting this up unless I'm going to actually be part of this group as well. Then I got really excited. I was like, yeah, I totally want to be part of this group, you know? So... uh, so What's a pause
1: if you're not going to go there? I want you to go there. What were those conversations like? Like when you're like... Because I think this, I felt that in the past. I I wonder how many other people have felt that, you know, race somehow we like there's, there's, there's pain and history and all of that. And so it's, it's a scary thing sometimes to even bring up Mm -hmm. as like a differentiating factor. Oh, yeah. So what what do those conversations pan out like?
2: Yeah, it it was, it was very scary. I remember just having knots and, and waiting for responses. And so I emailed Regina and I emailed... Monique and um, and so you know and I'm saying to Monique uh, yeah I don't know if we've met I think I've seen you in the Capitol Cafe Mm -hmm. and um, I don't know if you've heard of Be the Bridge you know so I'm trying to explain it and I said I'm interested in getting a group going you know and I don't know if this is something you'd even be interested in. And, you know, so, so Monique graciously emailed back and said, yeah, this sounds interesting to me. And I was like, okay, so there, yeah, okay, I've got got a person and I I went ahead and did the best I could. You know, I I think I went into it. She did great. (laughs) She
3: did great. She was great.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Every, every week. I mean, not, not every week we met, um, we were we're meeting every three weeks and there's nine sessions and You know, I just was like, okay, God, I, you know, I'm just going to do the best that I can. I'm going to try to be myself. I remember in the beginning feeling like, I don't, you know, especially after I had read that book, and it's like the the book by Austin Channing. I'm still here. Her first chapter is white people are exhausting, and oh. <laughs> and, and and it has to do with all the dumb things white people say. Huh. You know, and so I just was like, I don't want to say the wrong thing. You know, I, yeah. you know,
3: God, please just help me. So and she didn't. If you okay, look in back, I was hesitant to co-lead but never hesitant to become a part of the group. I guess maybe I just didn't want the burden yeah. of I think it's a big responsibility to co-lead a group yeah. and like I mentioned before, I'm Jamaican not African American, so Yeah, you've mentioned this before. Tell, right. tell us
1: what this distinction So, so need I think to the know.
3: distinction is um, for example, you don't want to want to be the black person who speaks for all black people because yeah. I can tell you You know, I can only tell you from my perspective, which is growing up Jamaican and then moving to the United States. And there's a difference between being African-American versus Black non-American, right? It's like an immigrant Black. And I think one of the big distinctions is just growing up, I was exposed to Black leaders and teachers and never really experienced maybe any microaggressions or discrimination during high school or middle school or anything like that, because most of my peers were black. And so like it just some microaggressions or things that maybe African-American women or children got exposed to from a young age. And that could really Mm. stick with you for a long time. I just didn't experience that. And so it's important to me to be careful to not, you know, can it be the sole voice of an entire yeah. black community for us all to recognize that you know we're not better than each other? No one is black versus white, but that the perspective of an African versus a Caribbean versus an african American black are very different, so I yeah. think that was my main hesitancy, just the yeah. <laughs> the weight of maybe wanting to like be yeah. the voice of the black community yeah. when yeah. i'm not exactly. african American but I think it was a great experience just to be in the Be the Bridge group, just to, I think one of the things I liked about the group was just the honesty and the transparency that everybody came Mm -hmm. to the table with. And when we're kind of getting together to decide like, how are we going to do this? I Mm -hmm. think one of the things that came across is that we decided amongst ourselves that we're just going to be honest and transparent with each other. So, I mean, did I feel, so anything that we felt I think we were all open to share it, whether it was, you know, from a white perspective or a black perspective or a Jamaican perspective. Like, I think we were all decided that we're just going to be transparent enough to Mm. share those experiences with each other. And I think then, you know, the weight of having to co-lead just got off your shoulders and then we just became friends and just starting to discuss, you know, like issues that were going on or just the the topics that were in the Be The Book, Be The Bridge group. Right. Yeah.
1: Well, so tell me about some of those lessons, like what what were the discussions like, and you know, pull the curtain on some of the the things you you learned, and you know, about each other and about yourself and about God, mm-hmm. just from some of your discussions, if you can remember.
2: Do you want to start? <laughs> sure. Um, well, as I mentioned when I was first talking about be the bridge, it it takes you through these steps, you know. So our first couple of lessons: awareness, acknowledgement, and lament, kind of. Uh, you know, got our feet wet into talking about, I mean, you ha- you have to even be aware. Right. Um, and you have to acknowledge that there are issues, you know, mm-hmm. to, to even begin to get to these other steps. And so the third meeting that we had, um, I can remember really feeling uh, that that had a really huge impact on me. And it was on shame and guilt. And I think one of the things that that really hit me was. You know, we've got all of this stuff that's going on. And, you know, even as Monique had mentioned, you know, just a while ago, we've, you know, why is everybody making such a big deal about this now? This has been going Mm -hmm. on forever. Mm -hmm. Well, sort of the weight of this whole thing started to hit. And as we were going through this lesson, um, one of the things that it talked about was the idea of collective shame and guilt." Mm -hmm. And it's a biblical model. And I just wanted to read if I could. Part of it says, shame and guilt related to the latter two actually have redemptive potential. So, that's awareness, acknowledgement, and lament. They can restore alienated individuals and communities to both God and one another. But our ability to appreciate redemption like this may require a closer look at how culture shapes our perceptions of and our responses to shame and guilt. One of the things that came up in this is that as Americans, we tend to have individual guilt. And so Mm. if somebody does something wrong, or if I do something wrong, I say, oh, I did something wrong, and I feel guilty about it. If somebody else in my culture does something wrong, oh, you did something wrong. Sure. Mm -hmm. Where um, in other cultures, and the biblical model is that there is this idea of a collective shame and guilt or a collective honoring. Mm. And, um, and one of the other examples that came up in this lesson, it said in January of 2017, Sam Oakier, a G- Ghanaian television personality living in South Korea, shared his experiences of racism in the country on the Korean talk show, As You Say. One of the co-hosts responded, I'm embarrassed. Mm. The co-host next to him said, I feel sorry. And the third chimed in, I'm sorry. The immediate response of the three Korean co-hosts was empathy and apology, rather than condemnation of the specific people who had mm. mistreated Sam. Mm. And you know, the biblical examples are, um, you know, the with, like in Ezra, Ezra personally was innocent of the sins created by the people that he prays for, mm-hmm. but he prays, "Oh God, I am utterly ashamed." I blush to lift my face to you for our sins are piled higher than our heads and our guilt has reached to the heavens. Mm. And then Daniel likewise confesses, "O Lord, we in our Kings, princes, and ancestors, even deceased ancestors are covered up with shame because we have sinned against you. And, um, I remember just feeling, I, I really felt like, you know, the Lord was really just present in in this particular meeting, and and allowed me to kind of feel that that heaviness of yeah. you know it wasn't just it wasn't just individual yeah I was individually sorry mm-hmm. and I was individually feeling shame and guilt for what our country had done mm. um, over all of these years mm-hmm. but it, this idea of being sorry you know and saying sorry collectively, you know, on behalf of our people. Yeah. And Ashley, who was Caucasian, was sharing the same thing. And we were getting very emotional. And and um, at one point, Regina, our African American friend said, Well, I don't want you guys to feel that way. And we said, No, we can't help but feel this way. And it's necessary that we feel this way. Because we need to feel the weight of it.
1: Yeah.
2: and And I think that you know, one of the other things that um, has come out of it is that it—it's easy as a white person to walk away and not have it in front of you all the time. So we don't—we can sure. easily forget the weight, and it's important to not. It's yeah. important—it's important to keep it in front of us mm-hmm. so that we continuously understand that ongoing weight that you know people of color are feeling because. Of you know whatever what whatever way they're being treated or yeah. whatever is happening in our society or our culture,
1: right. yeah, um,
2: we can't walk away, and so we have to we have to continuously bring
3: it before us, bring yeah. it before God, be part of it, yeah, right. and I think like the flip side of that too is this also acknowledging some of the realities and the statistics of crime that you know a lot of the crimes are in predominantly like black neighborhoods, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of that would happen in black and Hispanic or black and brown communities. And I think on the flip side of that, it's not that as a black community, we're not aware of that. I think we're aware of that. And we know that some of it is real, but we also know that there is some implicit bias, especially Mm. within the police community that might come along with those statistics as well. Like, you know, like, are the same crimes committed by different races being punished equally, or yeah. do you get a more severe sentence just based on the color of your skin mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so you know there is some shame too like it's not as if any black person can say, well, you know we're all free this is all happening to us just out <laughs> of nowhere no that's not the truth and I and I think part of that in in that Topic in that section we we're discussing in the group I think we also had to be transparent that yeah like there there is crime in the black community and and it's, it's hurtful like when you listen to like the stories about even in Atlanta and like Southside Chicago where like kids are being shot and it's like mm-hmm. black kids and right. um, you don't want to go into black and black crime but I said knowledge of poverty and the high rate the high crime rates in some black communities you know that's hurtful and that brings some yeah. shame like I I wish we could say that that wasn't true for us but it is and I and I know there's a lot of factors that go into that like poverty policing but yeah the, the shame that we carry as, as a black community too, is is that you know there there is a lot of crime associated mm. in our community as well and yeah, yeah so we each you know right. and i think that was the beauty of the group is that you know we each carry our shame for different from different perspectives right, right? and we're yeah. able to share that and talk about that and just kind of examine what that's like for each yeah. of us
1: yeah and you know i in both of what you just shared i'm being reminded of a recent sermon from the psalms that this kind of heavy hand uh, were you here for that? Mm-hmm. We, uh, yeah, yes. the heavy hand um, yes. of God, like pressing on us, that makes us feel guilty and, yeah. and shame, is is really for our good to spur us, right. you know, toward some redemption mm-hmm. and right. repentance and and some restoration, right? right? You know, and that certainly it sounds like how it went in this conversation, where you know you each could look to each other and yeah. And you know, encourage and right. and kind of bring you out of that shame and
3: You're right. Like Regina, I didn't want Kim and Ashley to feel guilt and like shame, but I mean, I was pleased that the hurt and the weight from, um, or at least that people were feeling some shame towards the way that people, uh, minorities have been treated. Like right. I thought that was only something that maybe the black community carried, but to right. hear that mm. they're whites who recognize that, yeah, there's unfair treatment as well. I think that was encouraging to hear because it's easy to think that only, because it's happening to us, we're the only yeah. ones that experience it. But you know, yeah. like in sharing each other's burdens, I yeah. think that's also good to know that other people recognize that shame Right, yeah. as well, and felt sympathetic towards our community. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: it's it's easy to identify our own experience of the guilt and the shame, and not even be remotely aware, right. of of you know another's perspective of that, especially mm-hmm. if it's vastly different, you right. know, with with our unique experiences growing up. Uh, were there were there other conversations or lessons that kind of stood out to you from this group, or other kind of moments where you you felt really connected over? Over the material, um, if there's anything coming to mind,
3: I think we did this, a topic on forgiveness, right? Yes. <laughs> we were yes. talking about forgiving, and some of us didn't feel like we needed to forgive. But I was thinking of how difficult it is, but how necessary it is to forgive. Like we were talking about, like the police officers who. You know who might who were involved in like the killing of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and how as difficult it is, as it is that uh, we have to forgive those people or just forgive right. others right yeah. who hate against us or discriminate against us and I feel like um, I know that forgiveness is like a subject that Troy preaches on at least once a year here mm-hmm. and um, so I think that was that was a good. That was good to bring up that we all have to learn to forgive each other. But I think that's an important part of it too. Otherwise, you just, the resentment or the anger just get built up and it's just, that's not healthy for anyone. And so, like, you have to learn to even forgive your own community and the high rates of crime and understand that there's poverty and other issues that are, that are associated with, with that, but then also forgive like police officers or people who might discriminate against you. And I think that's the tricky part, but it's also the rewarding part so that you're not walking around with just hate and yeah. bitterness and perpetuating the same hate right. that others right. um, can have, right. have at you or bring to you because of your race or, or, or identity.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah, something else that um, came to my mind
2: about uh, things that came up in the material is they gave us homework. One of them was we uh, had to sort of create a family tree to kind of look back Mm. and see where maybe some racist attitudes could have come Mm. from. Mm -hmm. And and that was a little difficult to look Mm. at, you know, Mm. because things that, you know— um, even going back a generation or so, maybe racial comments that may have come from relatives or something that I grew up with and didn't, you know, again, because I'm around a purely white community, maybe yeah. didn't recognize it the, at the time and didn't think, oh, yeah, didn't nobody think in my family's racist. Yeah. Right. Oh, really? You know, yeah. then you, right. you look at these things. And so um, that activity was... You know, that was difficult to actually look at and then acknowledge. You know, the, it, there was one of our um, our lessons was on confession, and it may have come up on, on that particular one.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: On the positive side, we had different things that we had to do. So uh, it talked about um, one of our homework activities was share a meal together. And because it was pandemic, we normally would be getting together quite a bit. Yeah. And so um, we decided to... Um, Check out on Monique's suggestion the right. Jamaican food truck. Yeah, oh. and um, and so she gave us some suggestions on you know what to get, and so I tried oxtails for the first time, and um, and I picked some up for Regina, and then Regina and I over a Zoom call ate our Jamaican food oh. and discussed that. You know, so those were some of you know we had some. A, some lighthearted moments yeah. I, you know i just want right. to talk about yeah. that right. and yeah. um and in addition to that we kept a, um, we did whatsapp you know instead of regular texting oh, mm-hmm. sure. that was our little group uh, chat that we yeah. were on all the time and you know kept each other in prayer um we shared both celebrations and prayer requests through that yes. uh, so on the in between of meeting yeah. you know since we are meeting every 3 weeks we um you know, we were also keeping in contact yeah. that way. So yeah, that's yeah.
1: it's good. I you know mentioning that you kept it light. You know, that's that's really important, right? I yes. think because
2: yeah, we had a
3: lot of, a lot of laughter. Right. Yeah. yeah, Yes. When well, so with topics
1: heavy. so heavy, yeah, yeah I know. So yeah,
3: we had to find a way <laughs> yeah. to like yeah. break it up. Otherwise, right. why would you do <laughs> right. this again? This would not yeah. be fun <laughs> for anyone. No, talking exactly yep, People are great. Right. Like, I'm not going to join me. The yeah, but you
1: know, it's important though because it requires both. Like
2: yes, yes.
3: This. You know, right. these are hard conversations, yes. right.
1: there's no way around that right. and we have to confront yes. the hard. Right.
3: So you can't uh, just ignore them. Right. right. So you have to dive into it and yeah. really talk about it rather than ignoring them. Right. Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah. And one of the things that, you know, when when we started off um, and, and it was so great because we did gel right away, everybody mm-hmm. was very transparent That's and true. open and it was just awesome from the beginning. Mm-hmm. But. I, you know, and I think I even mentioned but I was like, I, I don't want to do this because it's the bandwagon and, and you know, people are wanting to do yeah. things. You know, mm-hmm. I want to be in this for the long haul. I want to create friendships and I feel like we really created friendships through mm-hmm. the group. Yes. And even yeah, yeah. though it has, you know, the, the actual lessons stopped, we're still keeping in contact. Yeah. We ended up getting together. Yes. You know, we finally got together for a meal. Right. Yes. You know, which was great, <laughs> face yeah. to face and, and yeah, that was yeah. awesome. And um I know Ashley's talked about you know she's got a conference in Texas and you know she could possibly see Monique right. but we yeah. want to stay connected, connected and you know yeah yeah. We're yeah
3: friends and I appreciate that I'm glad that it led to friendship and it wasn't just like a small group that we right. did and then at the end of it that was you know that was it Kim mentioned like you know, in the text that if I've ever said anything stupid, please forgive me. (laughs) It's like, no, (laughs) it wasn't like for condemnation, but I thought that was funny because it's like, I think that was an appropriate response. so, you know, it was more apologetic and it was one of wanting to learn rather than just, you know, we had this group, it was done. And then that's it. Everybody went their separate ways. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, so what is, what is like, what do we do from here? Like, what is next? I know that Mm. like, I, what would you recommend to people to, to kind of have the same experience you've had to kind of bridge the divide across, you know, races to form intentional friendships and mm-hmm. how to make those last? Like what, what, what would you recommend and what are you guys planning to do from here yourself?
3: I think individually, we all decided that we are going to continue being the bridge. Like I want to meet people from different cultures and different backgrounds to continue to have these difficult conversations about racial reconciliation in the church. I don't want to pull back just because it's heavy and having like a format for Be the Bridge and actually some resources that I can use to start up other groups. When I moved to Dallas, I think it's really helpful just to continue with being the bridge. But then I think as individuals, we all made the you know, commitment that as a black woman, I'm going to advocate for other black and minorities in science since that's my era. Mm. Like not just in church, but outside of church. Like let's lift each other up and pull each other up. Yeah. I know Ashley, who's a counselor, she's been really talking to the leadership at her work to try to get a counselor who's a person of color so that you can really engage a broader community who do need counseling. I would encourage people
2: to check out Be the Bridge because it gives you such a great way to navigate through conversations, great. and it's heavy at times, but it's so positive mm-hmm. and, and biblical. It just is formatted in a way that allows you to have these really important conversations. Yeah. It's not long and in-depth. It's yeah. short readings with some questions, and it really is the questions that get you going.
1: Yeah. Well, we'll certainly throw a link to that yep. in the re- in the resources, you know, on the website. But I love that there's, you know, kind of closing up with things that we can do. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I think it's per- on this issue in particular, the motivation to do them, you need to come up with that yourself, especially now, because I remember the distinction of feeling like all the things we're feeling now versus what we were feeling last May and last summer. Right. It was so much more intense, right? you know, as someone who is white, for me, this, this has kind of fizzled out in a, in a, in a way, Mm -hmm. right? It's not as raw. It's not as in your face in the news. It's not there, but yet for people of color, it, it Mm -hmm. does not go away sometimes. And And we can't
3: wait until something dramatic like that happens again before we all get on the bandwagon. I feel like we have to sustain this. And I think keep the conversations going. I mean, even when there's no like dramatic incidences of like you know like police brutality i think it's a conversation that we want to keep going like all the time yeah. because it's happening all the time and mm-hmm. if it's not happening all the time then that's great it means that changes are occurring and prayers are being answered but still i think as a church community right i think we should definitely continue to have these conversations and not wait until one yeah like big event happens before we start right. making having these discussions yeah. again.
1: Yeah, right. and the conversations don't have to be, you know, guilt ridden and, right. and shameful. And no. the conversations are loving and between yes. ultimately friends. You mm-hmm. know, right,
2: it's, right. And the other thing is, um, you know, and I think I mentioned earlier, but this is a group uh, for all ethnicities, mm. That's right. you know, That's and, right. you know, we've been hearing just a lot of hate crimes against Asian Americans yes. yeah. right now, and um, they've come under a lot of yes. attack. But, um, you know, I mean, it doesn't matter what ethnicity, it's, yeah. it's a platform to bring people together to get conversations right. going. Yeah.
3: And I'm glad you brought that up because at the recent I have conference, I remember Latasha or having like a group, a table at the IF conference and, you know, someone say that, you know, the same anger that we had or the same motivation that we had when it was the Black Lives Matter movement, we have to yes. feel the same guilt and just outrage when it's happening to the Asian American community. And that, you know, that left me convicted. right? And just, mm. you know, seeing like some of the attacks on Asian Americans being done by black people. And it's like, no, we can't, like, no. Yeah. Like, right. we know what it's like to be right. hurt and the emotional toll that it takes on you when someone discriminates against you because of your race. We can't be doing this. And right. it has to hurt us as much as yeah. a community when mm. we see hate hate being done to an Asian American as it is to an African American. Exactly, mm. yeah. The same outrage that we have towards one, we have to have towards the other. Yes, yeah. absolutely.
1: Yeah. Right. yeah, you're right. Well, as as we kind of close, is there any... Kind of final thoughts, you'd want to just leave anything lingering that we haven't touched on, maybe
2: I mean the only thing you know and, and it was mentioned, but i I just think it's important for us to keep it in front of us yes and and not forget because you know, as you just mentioned, Eric, it's fizzled out, and it's yeah. easy to just kind of forget about it, and so I think we have to be proactive in the way that we think about how am I going to keep this prevalent in front of me so that I don't forget even if it means I'm going to continue to pray and pray, if that's my job, you know, what, what is my job going
3: forward? Just don't ignore, you Mm. know, I I think we have to keep it in front of us. Yeah, And I would recommend like, and I heard this on television, like coming outside of our comfort zone and let's find people who don't vote like us or who don't look like us or who don't sound like us and let's try to make friendships with them or just mm. have conversations with people who are different from us. Yeah. I know it might sound scary at the beginning, mm-hmm. but I feel because like it's is. so rewarding because <laughs> it is. <laughs> and, yes. Like yes, you don't so want to yeah. talk to a person just because, Oh my God, you're black, be my friend or you're white. Do you want to be my friend? Because I really <laughs> yeah. want to have a black friend. But I think we should all just make an effort that goes for black, white, Asian, and Hispanic to just have Conversations and try to form friendships with people who don't look like us. I think it's it's so rewarding, and I think that embodies, I think, what God wants us to do, right? That 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 is is the kingdom, kingdom. right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, There's a sense that we are less aware of the body of Christ because we're less aware of each other and experiences.
3: Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, thank you so much for spending some time with me and with the listeners on the podcast. Thanks
3: for having us. us.
0: Well, I think we can all agree that when it comes to bringing us together, a critical component of any solution is listening. So thank you for listening. We hope this episode inspired you to consider how you might start to build a bridge in your own spheres or how you might start a conversation or at the very least provided some anecdotes to strengthen your empathy And perhaps most importantly, we hope it urged you to celebrate the racial diversity within this vast body of believers, each of us different, yet lovingly made in the image of God. Kim and Monique shared some great resources during the conversation. If you didn't write them down, that's okay. You can check all of those out on the website at capitalstories.com. Join us again in a couple of weeks for our next episode where we share the story of a mother and daughter who just have this incredible tale to tell um it's like literally the kind of story that that movies can be made from but part of their story that we'll share is how they left a life completely off the grid and transitioned into a larger society and eventually came to be disciples of jesus And we cannot wait for you to hear it see you next time